You're listening to a sermon from Tyler Christian Fellowship in Tyler, Texas. Find us on the web at tcftyler.com or send us an email, tcftyler at gmail.com. It's a little uh, complicated to explain what we're doing as far as the series goes um, because it looks like it might be a series of series emphasis that I'm sensing that the Lord is calling me to personally um, and us to as a body um, is reaching out and and becoming um, much more involved and raising our profile in our city. Um, There's a lot of stuff that's going on that uh, is very exciting stuff um, in our city and uh, a lot of churches are joining together like I've never seen before Um, and I'm just really excited about us being a part of that. Um, over the next few months, figuring out how to love our city and how to, how to uh, know our city, how to pray effectively um, for our city. And um, so it's a series of series, and the series is um, You Are the Lighter of the World. Um, and the key scripture is from Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. And it says, uh, You are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And that's our calling. That's our high calling and, and our privilege, and it's what the Holy Spirit is after now. You know, when Jesus, after Jesus got done with his conversation with the woman at the well, um, his disciples came back just as she was leaving, and um, they were kind of surprised that he was talking to such a woman. Um, and uh, they, they said, look, we brought you some, some lunch. And Jesus said, you know what? I've got food to eat that you don't even know about. Um, and he said, you say um, there are six months until, until harvest, but I say to you, look, for the harvest is ripe. And that work, that, that harvest is ripe, what he was talking about was a whole city full of people coming out because this woman had gone back into the city that had shunned her and that she had willingly walked away from or hidden from as much as she could. Suddenly she was emboldened to go and just tell people not about herself, and not about what she could do, but about this amazing man who had just revealed himself to be the Messiah. And the whole city came out. It's in that context that Jesus said, the fields are white unto harvest. And men, I believe that today. I believe that the fields are white unto harvest. I believe that every time you look out your window and you see the darkness increasing, your heart ought to beat just a little bit faster and just with a little bit more urgency and a little bit more confidence to know that that darkness is making people hungry and that what we have is so far and away better than anything that the world has to offer. And so that's what we're talking about. So the first uh, in the series uh, is, uh, is on hope, um, about sharing your hope. This, I'm sorry, the, the, the first in the series is um, sharing your faith, hope, and love. Uh, and I've got that all together in one word um, because... It's the whole package. We're, we're sharing our faith, hope, and love. We're sharing, listen, ourselves with people. It's, we've called it lifestyle evangelism, but that's kind of dumb to call it that because no evangelism is effective if it's not lifestyle evangelism. If I'm not walking what I'm talking, nobody's going to buy that. Nope, they don't, they don't need that. They don't need another burden or another, you know, false, bogus religion. They want the reality, they want the truth, and they want to see it in our lives. They want to see me walking in faith and hope 
and love. And when I'm sharing that, I'm not just sharing my faith, I'm sharing myself with people. And there's such need that is out there right now. We talked last week about the uh, second major religion in, um, in many, many countries, in probably half the world. The second major religion is what is now called none or non-affiliated. In the United States and in Europe and in, in, uh, in some countries, it's the first major religion. But in a large portion of our, of our world, it's almost as many people that, can, that uh, call themselves Christians as say that they are non-affiliated. They don't have a religion. They don't have a faith system. They have a conglomeration of things that they have put together that is, you know, kind of knit together, stitched together, uh, and they're hoping that that's going to carry them through. And I'm telling you, it won't. And I'm telling you that what you have, the authentic, the authentic gospel, the life of the Holy Spirit in you, is something that people are going to hunger and thirst for. And they're going to ask you. They're going to want to know, how do you believe this stuff? Why do you think this stuff? And it's becoming more and more that way. Because of the growing numbers of the religiously unaffiliated, there's a growing cynicism in our world. And cynicism may not be the second major religion, but it is the result of the second major religion. A cynic is someone who is distrustful or incredulous of human goodness and sincerity, skeptical of human merit, often mocking or sarcastic. Uh, the uh, Oxford uh, English Dictionary defines a cynic as someone who is distrustful or incredulous of human goodness or sincerity, skeptical of human merit, often mocking or sarcastic. A skeptic um, believes that people only act in their own self-interest. They don't believe that anybody acts in anything other than their own self-interest. And there's a lot of reasons why people become um, skeptics. A skeptic thinks that you're na naive if you have hope. A, th a skeptic thinks that he or she is wise that she has learned some things through her life, and that she has learned not to hope in the things that we hope in. And so by declaring ourselves as being those with hope, we, in, in their eyes, it, it means that we are just lambs being led to the slaughter, which is not a bad analogy, actually, because that's what our king is, a lamb who was willingly led to the slaughter, but it wasn't because he was unwise or naive. Cynicism grows in the hearts of too many leaders. Not only does it impact how you lead or work in your ministry, eventually it, is, uh, it, it's, um, it, it tears up the fabric of your family, of the organization that you lead, and of your church. I uh, recently uh, read a book um, by Kerry uh, uh, Newhoff, and he lists uh, six reasons that leaders become cynics. Uh, the first is, he says, uh, that you know too much. Um, in uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 18, the wisest man that's ever lived, the wisest man in the world, um, Solomon wrote this. He said, for with much wisdom comes much sorrow, and the more knowledge, the more grief. Now, why is that? Because when you learn through hard knocks and difficult things in life, if you learn the wrong way, you become more and more hardened and more and more cynical. Now, I don't believe that there's anything wrong with knowledge and study and, uh, and uh, experience and all of those things, but it's got to be processed in the right way. 
It's got to be processed in the context of what we talked about last week, which is faith, which is what you're basing your life on, what you're trusting and fully relying on. The first may be that you know too much. The second is that you haven't grieved your losses. And I was fascinated um, by his take on this, by uh, Kerry Newhoff's um, take on this, because it, it, like when I read it, I thought, you know what, I think there's something to that that you haven't grieved your losses. How many times have we gone through things in our life that hurt or disappoint, and we just stuff it? But the Old Testament teaches that it's really important to grieve. The Old Testament, the law, God prescribed 40 days of mourning for certain things. That if you're going to go through this, God says you need this. When our oldest son passed away six years ago, um, seven years ago. It's about seven years ago now. Um, it, was on a, it was on a Saturday, and I wanted nothing more than to be here on Sunday. And somebody wisely told me, you just need to take some time off. I needed to step back from what I was doing. I didn't need to continue. And I wanted to be here because I love you guys, and you guys love me. And the grace that I received, have received throughout my life um, from you guys has been life-sustaining at times. But somebody wisely told me that you're, you're going to need to grieve. You're going to need to step back. Grief is a process. It's not something that you're ever over, but it's something that if you don't do right, if you stuff it, and you don't weep when you should be weeping, and if you don't, maybe not dress in black, but allow yourself to be sad, for a period of time, you'll pay the price for it. And part of that price will be bitterness in your own heart. Part of that price will be cynicism. There's a time to withdraw, and there's a time to process things. Um, when I first got saved, um, like this morning, like when Roger was praying this morning, I'm so touched by what Roger was saying and, and the way that he was praying, so, such an honest prayer, and I moved to tears myself. When I first got saved, I would get to that point, and it would just shut off. I would have no, no feeling whatsoever. When I felt myself, it's almost like a panic reaction when I felt myself getting emotional, you know, and it would just shut off, and I knew that that was wrong, and so I prayed, and I said, God, give me the ability to weep when it's appropriate to weep. I don't want to be a a man who can't express honest emotion. And he gave me that ability, as you well know. <laughs> and I made a commitment to the Lord at that time. I said, if it's honest emotion, I'm not going to stuff it. I'm not going to contain it. I'm not going to hold back. I'm gonna, if I feel like crying, if I feel, if I feel moved um, to tears, I'm going to cry. I'm going to weep. Grief is necessary. It's a necessary process to emotional healing. And tears do heal. In Lamentations, Jeremiah writes, Oh, that my eyes were a river of tears, that I might grieve for the slain of my people. There are some things that are worth weeping about. And if somebody tells you don't cry, like we tell our kids so often, don't listen to them. Because there are some things that you're going to experience in your life, and there's some things that are going on in the world today that should, someone should be weeping 
Someone should be moved by. The third one is you haven't dealt with your issues. And uh, under that, I would say it's, um, it almost always comes down to either repentance or forgiveness. Um, I was at lunch this past week uh, with a group of guys, and one of them was telling the story about um, a, uh, a wedding that, uh, that he had been to. Um, and the groom was estranged from his mother. She had been, you know, a, a narcissistic, um, self-centered, abusive uh, mom his whole life. Uh, and he, had, he was estranged from her. And she came to the wedding. And she talked to my friend and she said, you need to tell my son um, that he needs to let me see my granddaughter. And my friend said to her, well, you need to tell him you're sorry for what you've done. And she said, I'm not, I don't have anything to say I'm sorry for. She said, I've been in therapy. I've been in counseling. You know, I'm getting myself together. I'm, I'm getting healthy. And, and, uh, and I, don't, I don't need to repent to anybody. And I just asked the guy, I said, I wonder what those counseling sessions must be like. Like, what are they talking about in there? You know? Because so many counselors can't tell you, you were wrong there. You should say I'm sorry. And it can be as plain as the nose on your face. And if you don't learn to do that, if you don't learn to repent, and if you don't learn to forgive, you are accumulating baggage that you will, it'll get you. You know how Tom Mix died? You know who Tom Mix is? Tom Mix is an old silent movie western star, one of the first ones. You're getting educated today, okay? Tom Mix was driving his, uh, his uh, station wagon um, between gigs, uh, out in Arizona, and he had it loaded up with luggage in the back, and he crossed one of those low water crossings, you know, where they have, where there's not a bridge, but there's just a low water crossing, and he went in, and the, and the front end of the car dug into the ground, and the luggage shifted and fell, came forward and killed him, bashed his head in. Luggage will kill you. Baggage will kill you. You think that you're, you think you put it behind you? You're just waiting for the right time for it to come out. If you're not handling things in the correct way, and I'm talking about repentance, when it's, when it's necessary to say I'm sorry. And listen, we teach our kids to say I'm sorry. I'm not sure if we're as careful to teach our kids to say I forgive you. When someone says I'm sorry, they should hear I forgive you. It's just as much an important part of the process. And if you haven't learned how to do that, you will become cynical. You will become hardened. The next one is that you projected your past failures onto uh, new situations. And this is, this is particularly where a cynic thinks that they are wise. Because they'll tell you, I've been through so much and I can tell you how this is going to go. And they are judging it before it ever happens. They are fulfilling their own prophecy. They're saying, if this is the way it's going to go, and I guarantee you that's the way it's going to go because they haven't processed those other experiences that they've had in the past. And they're projecting those onto the, the disaster in the past. They're projecting onto their present. And they think they're smart. And they think if you tell them it doesn't have to be that way, that you are dumb. And cynicism grows. Number five is you've decided to stop trusting. You've decided to stop trusting. Well, good luck with that because you cannot live without trust. And just because you've been burned does not mean that you were wrong 
to trust. I'll say that again. Just because you've been burned doesn't mean that you were wrong to trust. And it certainly doesn't mean that you should make the commitment to never trust again. Cynicism is a choice. And listen, you can't selectively harden your heart. You can't harden your heart in this area and maintain a sensitive and, and, uh, and expressive heart in another area. When you harden your heart, your heart is hardened. And it's hardened in, in so many other ways that are out of your control. And I had, I had a reason to shut down. I had a reason to emotionally not be available. And it had to do with an experience that I had when I was younger. When I was, when I was a, a 13 or 14 years old, and I got a spanking. And that's too old to spank a kid. It was too old to spank me. I'm not telling you how to raise your kids or anything. I just suggest to you, when somebody gets to be that age, here's what happened. When my dad began to spank me, I said, by God, I'm not going to cry out. And I shut it down. I found that I could completely control my emotions. The problem is, is that my emotions were not accessible to me anymore. When I got to that point, I had hardened my heart, and my, my heart was hardened, and I couldn't feel it. But by a miracle of God, he gave me the ability to, to honestly express emotion again. You've decided to stop trusting, then you can't love. You've decided to stop trusting, then you can't have fellowship with people. You've decided to stop trusting. You can't be a functioning member of a church, of the body of Christ, because it all comes down to trust. And when I say that, you know what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about trusting people. I'm talking about trusting him. And if you trust him, then you're courageous enough and you're bold enough to say, I will trust you, and I will open my heart, and I will be accessible to you, and I will not harden my heart to you. Why? Because I trust him. And the last one is that you've lost your curiosity. And I think this is another one of those that I was uh, kind of fascinated um, with. You know, the older you get, um, I used to love it when people would say that, that, you know, that we're really old, because it's like, this is a life lesson for you. And I'm like, that may be your life lesson, but I don't know that that's for everybody. But here's what I think. I think the older you get, the more set in your ways you become. So you've got to be really careful. <laughs> you know, you've got to be really careful with that, because... There's two types of old people, okay? One is internally happy, and one is bitter. And that's, you just get that way. The older you get, the more you're like, I don't care what anybody thinks. This is what I think, and this is what I'm going to do. And if you go, like, to the nursing home and, and, uh, and talk to some of the people in the nursing home, it'll be so obvious. There are some that are so bitter and so hard and so angry, and they have only gotten that way more and more as they go through their life. And then there are some that are so happy and so upbeat. I went to, um, to get my taxes done several years ago, and uh, I don't know if you know this, but the IRS offers free tax work. Like somebody will, if you show up at the IRS office, somebody will do their ta taxes, and uh, believe me, um, there's a good side to that and a bad side to that. And, and, I, and, I, and I met face-to-face, -face, I met the good side and the bad side to that because I, I'm a pastor and pastors, you know, taxes things a little different than most people. And I sat down across the, the table from this lady who was obviously a retiree and she just, she just, you know, volunteering. She's not getting paid for it. She's just volunteering. And I sat down and she said, so tell me about yourself. And I said, I'm a pastor. And she said, oh, good. 
She said, I've never done a pastor before. She said, I just love to learn new things. <laughs> I love people like that, but not with my taxes. A reason why people get, get cynical is because they lose their curiosity. They come to the place where everything that they see and everything that they do is filtered through their past experiences, and they're not curious anymore. They're not approaching life as if there's a lot of wonder out there, and there's a lot of awesome stuff out there, and there's a lot to learn. And there's a reason to be hopeful as we look into those things. Life is a series of wins and losses, and if you're not careful... You hardly notice the wins, but you feel every loss. Many of us just stuff the losses, pretending that they don't matter. Now when I sense a loss, I allow myself to grieve. And grieving is a process, like I said. It's something that you have to learn. There are, there are things that you're going to experience that are normal things for you to experience, and if you know what grief is, you know why you're feeling that way, and you know why you're experiencing that. But it's not a process that you can skip. So I just ask you today, as I'm speaking, is there something that you need to grieve? Is there something that you've experienced that you just need to grieve so that you can heal in a healthy way? So that the, the Holy Spirit can pour in the oil and the wine. That the, that the wound can be open and can be treated. So enough about cynicism. Let's talk about hope. The word hope, uh, the Greek word is elpis, to anticipate, usually with pleasure, um, expe expectation of good. Now the Greeks thought that hope was just like an expectation, but they taught that it could be just as, just as much a negative thing as a positive thing, because you're hoping for a good outcome, but you're going to be disappointed, okay? And so I thought, um, as, I was, as, as I was preparing this, I thought, you know what? I have done a lot of weddings, and I think one of the most hopeful moments in a person's life is when the groom is standing up at the altar and the bride walks down the aisle. It ought to be. It ought to be one of the most hopeful moments in a person's life. And so I Googled it, and this is what I got. <laughs> Isn't that sweet, man? This guy is seeing his, his, his uh, fiance, his bride, coming down the altar, and he is so moved with emotion. And again, if you've ever been to a wedding that I do, I tell the bride and groom all the time, I'm probably going to cry. I'm probably going to choke up. I, and I'm, it's not like I'm proud of that or anything. It's just a fact. That's what it is. Because this is, such a, this is such a unique time in a person's life when that person is approaching and they are about to promise something to each other and be joined together forever. For their li I'm sorry, for their life. They are about to make a commitment, a step that they know is beyond themselves, but that they trust that God will give them the grace to be able to do it, and they are going to have a companion for life, a friend, someone to share life's ups and downs and joys and sorrows and successes and failures. And it all comes down to that moment. I remember when um, Becky's, um, one of Becky's sisters got married up here um, years ago, um, and uh, I was here when she came in, 
And she came in dressed in like a t-shirt and blue jeans and, and flip-flops, you know, and she went in the back, and the next time I saw her, she was a bride. Just the transformation. Same person, same girl, but she came adorned, ready to make promises and to step into a new life. And listen to me, you can't do that without hope. A cynic will tell you most of the marriages fail and uh, and, and, uh, end in divorce. That's what he'll tell you. He'd be sitting there and he'd be like, yeah, you ought to be crying. (laughs) Now listen, do you want to be that kind of person? Do you want to be that kind of person that's always looking? I know, I understand pessimists. Because pessimists are either they're going to be right or they're going to be glad. It's like a good outcome. Right? So a pessimist looks at something and says, it's going to fall down, it's going to fail, and it falls down and fails, and they're like, I told you so. And if it doesn't, they're like, hey, that's good. Do you want to be that way? Do you want to go through your life not believing, not hoping? Well, Jesus doesn't want you to be that way. Romans 5.5, hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Romans 15.13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. This is directly tying your relationship with God with the hope that is within you. It's not wishful thinking. It's not just trying to be a positive person. It's not optimism. It's not any of those things. Because if, if, if a cynic tells you you're a fool for thinking that things are always going to turn out good, he's partly right. The Bible doesn't say everything works together for the good. Okay? Do you know how that scripture really goes? There's more to it, Right? Everything works together for the good for, the good for those who, are, who love God and are called according to His purposes. If you don't love God and you're not walking in His purposes and you're not following Him and you're not seeking Him, you're opening yourself up to some disasters. And God knows I've experienced some. Even my disasters, God has worked together for the good, but don't you think for a minute it didn't hurt. And I didn't look back on it, you know, and brush myself off and say, man, I hope I never do that again. It's based on my relationship with God. My hope is in God. Listen, what are we afraid of? A, fr- a friend of mine um, uh, was a uh, missionary in, on the border in Mexico um, several years ago, and this is when the uh, drug, drug gang violence was so bad down there. And he was building houses for poor people um, in the dump uh, just across the uh, Rio Grande. And a friend of his was talking to him and uh, said, um, you're a fool for doing that. You're going to get killed doing that. And my friend said to him, he said, are you going to hail? And when he said that, I was like, going to hail? No, he told his friend, he said, are you going to hail? He said, brother, what are you afraid of? If they kill me, I'm going to heaven. That's his hope. That's the burning hope that he has. God calls him to do something that may be dangerous. But the outcome is going to be good either way. 
He's going to minister to some poor people. He's going to build something for the, And you'd have to see what they were living in to know that what, what we built for them was like a shell house with a roof that worked. They were living in literally in stick houses with cardboard or used um, pallets. And that's what they were making their homes with. He was called to do that. He was called to minister to those people. And he did it. And he did not for one minute think, I can't do this, I might die. He'd already settled. His hope was in Jesus Christ and in the eternity that was going to follow. Listen, as a believer, your best days are always ahead of you. Always. As a believer, your best days are always ahead of you because glory is ahead of you. Because God has prepared a place for you. And it's not like a mansion. It's so much better than that. He's prepared a place for you, and you're going to get it. And you're going to live forever. And you're going to look back on this life, and you're going to be so happy that you were not pessimistic about it and that you trusted Him. So how do we share our hope? You'll notice that this list is the same as the list of how we share our faith from last week. Um, and the one for how you share your love next week will be the same. The first is to pray. Prayer changes things. The first thing that prayer changes is you. Because you get a heavenly perspective. When you turn your attention to the Lord and when you're in the presence of the Lord and when you extend yourself in faith to God, it changes you. But it also changes things on the outside. And you know that we have an advocate with the Father and that the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous person is going to be very effective. It moves mountains. So the first thing is to pray. That means that it's not all up to you. It's not all dependent on you. How can I share my hope with somebody that's hopeless? How can I talk to a cynic who has been so steeped in it that they don't want to hear what I have to say? What's the first thing? Pray. Pray for you. Pray for them. Pray. The second one is to know what your hope is based on. Is it wishful thinking? Is it just that you're a positive person? Are you just one of those people that's, uh, that's always going to see, you know, the good side of things, right? How do you know if a glass is half full or half empty? Well, I guarantee you it's half empty if it's got a lipstick ring on it, right? Somebody's been drinking it, right? I don't care how positive you are. If, you're, if your positive outlook on life is based on just your commitment to be a happy, positive person, you're going to be disappointed. But if it's based on the Word of God, if it's based on the promises of God, if it's based on the faithfulness of God, you will never be disappointed. You will never be. He may not do it the way that you're expecting to. In fact, I can guarantee you that He won't. But you will stand and you will say, He did it better than I was expecting Him to do it. He will not fail. He delivers. Know what your hope is based on. Then the third one is to listen to understand. If you really want to impart hope to somebody, don't give them platitudes. Don't just say everything's going to be okay. Listen, someone has, as someone who has been through grief before, saying I understand is a really dangerous thing to say to people. You may understand this, but you don't understand. You can say this, though. Help me to understand. I would like to understand. 
I care for you. I would like to know what you're struggling with. Listen. And this is true. If you're going to do anything effective with the gospel, it's got to be in response to something that somebody else is feeling, somebody else is thinking, somebody else is saying, not just because you have to get something off your chest or because you want to justify your existence. It's got to be meeting somebody where they are. So you have to listen. You have to learn how to listen. And that's hard. The third one is recognize God moments. We talked about this last week. Um, the kids in our, um, in our VBS, um, one of the things at the beginning of the week, um, we tell them that we, are, uh, that we want them to be on the lookout for God, God sightings, God, you know, uh, where, where God is showing up and where God is doing things. And all week long they're doing that and they're sharing, you know, stories about that. Jesus did that. Jesus was blown away by the centurion who said, my servant is sick, but you don't have to come. Just say the word and, and my servant shall be healed. And Jesus like had a spell for a moment. He had to stop for a second because he was so impressed with that because he saw something amazing. He actually asked that question. He said, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? That's a good question. What's the answer? Yes. Not because of us but because of him. And this centurion, who's a Roman, who's not Jewish, he doesn't know anything about, about it, knows this. He said, I understand how authority works, and I know that you've got authority, and you say the word, and my servant shall be healed. And Jesus had to stop and talk to the people around him. He said, I've never seen faith like this in Israel. This is amazing. I talked, we, last week we talked about the woman that um, was from uh, Syrophoenicia, and uh, how Jesus kind of stiffed her, you know, kind of gave her the you know, the cold shoulder. And it didn't seem like him at all to do that. And the reason why he was doing that is because he saw something in her that had to be tried, had to be resisted, had to be put on display. And so he acted like he wasn't going to do what she asked him to do just so he could point out to his disciples, look, this is real faith. Someone who is humble, someone who is not demanding their own way, someone who believes and acts on that belief. And then the last is to draw near. There's no substitute but for being close to people. There's no substitute for proximity. We live in a more and more isolated society. Say amen with me. We are more connected and we are more isolated than ever. We know more about the minutia of people's lives and less about their hearts. And it's not possible to do that electronically. You have to be there. You have to know them. You have to sit with them. When we went to Africa last year, we went to uh, um, a place that had no running water and no electricity. And I found that I could live without running water quicker than I could live without my phone. But you know what we did? We sat around and talked. It was marvelous. I got to spend time with Steve and Helen. Like, we could just sat across the table. And, like, Steve, you know, flew B-1 bombers. What did you fly? F-111 bombers. The guy's got some stories, you know? And he's got a perspective on life. And Helen, you know, being from England, it's England, right? Britain? Well, I don't know. Scotland, Brit, huh? Australia. I thought that was a Canadian accent. Anyway, fascinating people that I have known for a long time, and we had more meaningful conversations. Why? Because we were disconnected from all the other 
you know, false connections, and we were able to actually connect on a deeper, deeper level, on a friendly level. It wasn't like, you know, real serious stuff. It was just cutting up and spending time together and all of that. We are more connected and we are more isolated than ever. We have to fight that, church. We have to be accessible to people. We have to get out of our comfort zone and strike up a conversation. You ought to try it. I mean, you got to learn how to do it because it's not easy to do. What are you going to talk about? Think about it. Think about it ahead of time, right? It's not bad to make some notes. Like, I would like to talk to somebody about this or about that. You want to talk to somebody? Ask them a question that you're genuinely interested in, and you will get a conversation going. You want to talk to somebody and you want to tell them all the fascinating stuff about you, they may not really be interested. But if you're interested in them, they will open up to you. So draw near. This uh, Russ uh, Whitfield is a pastor in uh, Washington, D.C. of a multi-ethnic um, church. And he says this, he says, the only way for our hope, that our hope can survive in the face of the daily news is by a firm grip on the scope and the certainty of the good news. The ugliness and the pain of the daily news will most certainly give way to the beauty and joy of the good news. A renewed world filled with renewed people who live in renewed relationships. The Christian community must be more attuned to the good news than we are to the daily news. When this is the case, we will be the most meaningful kind of voice speaking into the daily news. If you are a Christian, both the good news and the daily news are your business. The good news is about how God loves you at great cost, and the daily news equips you to love your neighbor at great cost. This is God's vision for our life in the world. That's God's vision for our life in the world. Listen to me. Don't watch the news if you don't pray, okay? Because all that's going to do is put a burden on you that is, is, is just going to sit on you and make you cynical, all right? But get in the habit of praying about things that concern you and things that you see and know that we are the answer to some of these things. We're not just spectators, that's the reason why when Abraham asked God, he said, if you go into a city, I mean, if you have a city, then there's 50 righteous people in that city. Would you destroy that city for, for, um, for the sake of the 50 righteous? And he said he wouldn't. Why? Because those 50 righteous people are the hope for the city. They're not just passive. They're not just spectators. They are there to make a difference. When Jesus looks at Tyler, Texas, he sees lights all over. And he sees darkness all over. And he says the light is the hope for the darkness. And that's you and that's me. As God has equipped you and called you, as you have been through experiences that have brought you close to death or, or close to giving up and you have handled them in a healthy way and you have allowed God to redeem those situations, you have something to give. And it's not just a story. It's your life. It's your hope. One Peter, one three through nine says, "Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead." What is our hope based on? So, so David asked, asked, "What was the question that you asked the, the kids? Why is Jesus our superhero? Do you notice that they had an answer right away? That's awesome." That's godly families living it. That's children's ministry. That's not just, you know, 
wasting time or it's not a nursery, it's, it's a school. And they, they're learning these things. Because of Jesus' death and resurrection from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And that's all so positive and so awesome and so good, but he goes on. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, and what is the next word? If, though now for a little while, if necessary. And it is necessary. You have been grieved by various trials. It is necessary. It is necessary that your faith is not something kept behind glass, something isolated, something protected from reality, but that your faith has been through the ringer and been through hell and everything hell can throw against it because that proves that it's real faith. It's necessary that offenses come. It's necessary that you get hurt. It's necessary that you learn to process in the real world what real faith is and what real hope is. Not pie in the sky. Not wishful thinking. But forged in the fire. It's necessary that offenses must come, but they only serve to confirm your words, your sincerity. Your hope in the face of trials is like a little miracle. It's like a little miracle. It's, I guarantee you it's swimming against the tide. And it's like a little miracle when somebody sees it. Hope. Heaven coming to earth. He goes on, so that the test genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ, though you have not seen Him. Some of the most beautiful words written, and it so describes us to a T. So, though you have not seen Him, yet you love Him. And though you do not see Him now, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Let me conclude with this. Um, I just want to encourage you. We, you get into conversations all the time. Maybe it's like a conversation at the water cooler or you know, at the lunch counter or or something like that. You get, we get in conversations all the time. And it is so common for people, people to just be really negative. I'm just encouraging, man, speak up. Speak up. They may not want to hear everything you have to say, but they need to know that somebody's not swimming with the tide. They may be saying these things and wishing they weren't true and looking for somebody that's not like that. Don't be like that. Have a little bit of courage. I'm not talking about talking down to people or being judgmental. I'm talking about knowing what they're talking about and knowing the person and knowing what the situation is. Speak life into their life. Speak life. Because if we as Christians, and especially if they know that you're a Christian, and if you go along with that baloney, then they think they're right. You have validated that. Don't do that, okay? 
And I think you can do it with a sense of humor. I think you can do it in a good way. Or if they say something, you know, that doesn't make any sense, like I'm cursed, you know, I can't win, something like that. Just ask, why do you say that? Open a conversation with them. Because they're processing things wrong. Maybe they've been hurt. Maybe they don't know how to grieve. Maybe they've been disappointed. You know, the worst cynics are people that at one time were idealists. You know that? Thomas. When Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he was the apostle who said, let's go up and die with him. Thomas was an idealist. And then when Jesus appeared, when Jesus died, and Jesus did everything he could to prepare them for that, but when Jesus died, Thomas descended into cynicism. He didn't say, I can't believe. He said, I won't believe. And when Jesus appeared to him, that's what Jesus said. Don't be unbelieving anymore. Only believe. Don't be passive. Be active. The spirit of this age is cynical, mocking, and pessimistic. Take a stand for hope. Don't be passive in the face of fatalism. 1 Peter chapter 3, 15 says, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to give a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is within you, yet doing it with gentleness and respect. So if I were to ask you, why do you hope? Think about it, okay? When you get in that situation, no telling what you'll say. But if you think about it, if you understand how can I answer that question, give a reason. Be prepared to give a reason for the hope that is within you. I want to pray for you. If you're, uh, if you're here today and anything that I've said has, uh, has touched your heart, um, do we have other prayer intercessors? Um, Sydney, do you want to pray on that side? You want to come and pray with me? Um, Josh, you and Heather, y'all want to pray? So we'll have some, some people up here to pray for you. Maybe there's something that you need to grieve that you haven't grieved. And maybe you just need somebody to pray for you with that. Maybe you have been in that place uh, where you're cynical. Or I don't think sarcasm is the same thing. I love some good sarcasm. Cynicism, if, if it's sarcasm that's like based on cynicism, then it's wrong. It hurts. It's, it's cutting, right? Um. But if you're in that place where you just feel bitter or, or angry or hopeless, um, let somebody pray for you today. Let's stand together. We're going to sing a chorus. <clears throat> Your love never fails, it never gives up, it never runs out on me. Your love never fails, it never gives up, it never runs out on me. Your love never fails, it never gives up, it never runs out on me. Your love. And on and on and on and on it goes. Yes, it overwhelms and satisfies my soul. And I never ever have to be afraid. This one thing 
remains this one thing remains your love never fails it never gives up it never runs out on me your love never fails it never gives up it never runs out on me your love never fails it never gives up it never runs out on me your love your love never fails it never gives up it never runs out on me your love never fails it never gives up it never runs out on me your love never fails it never gives up it never runs out on me your love Lord Jesus it's your love Lord Jesus it's your love Lord Jesus it's your love shine your light and let the whole world see we're singing for the glory of the risen King oh Jesus shine your light and let the whole world see that we're singing for the glory of the risen King Savior he can move the mountains my god is mighty to save he is mighty to save forever author of salvation he rose and conquered the grave jesus conquered the grave as savior you can move the mountains God you are mighty to save you are mighty to save forever author of salvation you rose and conquered the grave Jesus conquered the grave you rose and conquered the grave Jesus conquered the grave, you rose and conquered the grave. Jesus conquered the grave. And I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. No, I'm no longer a slave to fear. Oh, I am a child of God. No, I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. No, I'm no longer I am a child of 
God Amen Thank you, Lord, that you have poured out your love in abundance in our hearts and our lives, in this place, in our relationships here, Lord Jesus. And that we can say, like David said, the Lord is my shepherd. I have nothing that I want. I have everything in you. I pray, Lord, that you would send us out of here, not just as people that are filled, but the people that are overflowing, Lord Jesus. Overflowing with love, overflowing with repentance, quick honest repentance, overflowing, Lord Jesus, uh, with forgiveness, overflowing with joy, Lord Jesus, and especially overflowing with hope to a hopeless and cynical world, Lord. Give us backbone, Lord Jesus, to stand up, Lord, to the, to the, um, the temptations, um, to, uh, to uh, digress, uh, to allow ourselves to be pulled down into um, uh, hopelessness and negativity. Give us, Lord, boldness to be able to speak life into people's lives, Lord Jesus, in an open and an honest and a compassionate way, Lord Jesus. Give us a smile and a hope in our heart, Lord Jesus, that's not external, that that is internal at the very core of our being and that overflows out through our face, through our words, through our actions, Lord, and through our lifestyles. We don't want to become bitter old people, God. We don't want to slide down that slippery slope, Lord. We want to respond like Paul did to the upward call, Lord. The one that's going against the flow. The one that's going against gravity. That's going against the pull of this world, Lord. Lift us up, Lord. Lift us up. Help us to stand, Lord Jesus, where you stand. Help us to give hope, Lord. And especially to those that are near to us. Just for a moment, I just want to pray. For those that you have put us in proximity to, Lord, already. And those that you're calling us to be close to. And especially people that are um, poor, uh, broken, uh, hurt, um, needy. God, especially people like that. Oh, like water on dry ground it is, Lord. When someone, someone loves, honestly, not for their own selfish gain. Oh, God, put us around more people like that so that we ourselves can see the power of the gospel, the power of the good news, the power of honest unconditional love, Lord. I pray for those that you've already put us around, Lord. Those that some, some of us, Lord, are thinking right now that's people that we have a problem with. God, thank you for that. Thank you for putting hard people in our lives. Thank you for putting difficult... Can you say that? Can, can you really say that? Thank you for putting difficult people in our lives, Lord, because it brings out the best in us when the Holy Spirit is working in us. It shows us, Lord, where we really are And it helps us, Lord, to know where we really want to be, hope to be in you. Thank you for that, Lord. And I pray, Lord, for those relationships. I pray that we would be a godly influence on them and that they would be a godly influence on us, Lord. Um, That you would help us, Lord Jesus, um, to grieve uh, in a healthy way, uh, Lord, so that we don't have a bunch of baggage hanging on. And so that we're free to move, Lord, free to give, free to love. Send us out of this place, Lord Jesus, in the power of the Holy Spirit to a lost and dying world. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.
God bless you and you're dismissed this morning.